Imagine if you were traveling in the 1870s. The Civil War had come to an end and the states were attempting to find their way back to civility and prosperity. It was the height of the westward expansion. It sure would have been nice to have one of those helpful travel apps that we use these days to give a hint of where we could stop and rest along the way and which places to avoid. A standardized rating highlighting ideal spots to feed and water the livestock and where to best fuel up the flour and cornmeal reserves. If you were traveling along the Osage Trail, for example, and found yourself weary and in want of a hot meal, you might look up on your handy Pilgrim's Advisor app for any information on the vendor house. The description would say a small, intimate respite from the long and dusty trail. Enjoy a home-cooked meal made with ingredients farmed on the property and fresh fruit grown in their very own orchard. A family-owned business since 1871, providing the weary traveler groceries to take along the way and a comfortable place to lay your head for the night. And for an extra fee, you could have your fortune told. This might get your attention, so you would scroll down further to check out the ratings and you might see Seance and Spiritual Entertainment four stars, lightens your heavy load, four stars, ambiance, two stars, hearty meal, five stars, travel direction, five stars, comfort, three stars, customer service, two stars, getting out alive, one star. In murder trials, the sentencing is sometimes altered when the jury discovers that the crime is either random or premeditated, meaning did they plan to commit the crime? Did they purchase items in advance, for example? Did they outline the hows, whens, and wheres? The Bender House puts all the others to shame. They give premeditated a whole new level of evil. Here's the story. As I mentioned, in the 1870s, it offered a newfound freedom to folk who were looking for new opportunity, starting fresh in a new place. Thousands had made their way to Oregon by now, and settlements were popping up everywhere in between. There are a lot of unknowns about this piece of history, but still so much that is passed on today. The Benders pass themselves off as a family but there is no proof that they were related in any way, actually. Mother, father, daughter, son. But rumors abound that the daughter Kate and son John Jr. may have been husband and wife. And once you hear about this scam, this bit of information is trivial at best. John Sr., who plays the father figure, was a large and intimidating man. He stood over six feet tall and wore a thick beard with long, unkept hair. He barely spoke at all, but when he did, others say that you could hear a German accent. He didn't go much in for the chit-chat. John Jr., the supposed son in this family setup, was about 25. People would refer to him as handsome, but a little slow. He'd stumble over his words, and even though he was friendly and loved to show up at social gatherings, he had a tendency to laugh aimlessly, which made the neighbors assume he was, as they would call it, a half-wit. 
The two men would make their way to Cherryvale, Kansas, blending in with a group of spiritualists that decided to settle in the area. Spiritualists are people that believe the dead are all around and leave a portal from Earth to the hereafter. Those with a special gift can communicate with spirits of people who had passed on before them. This was a fairly new but widespread religion. Kate Bender and the mother were said to be able to summon the dead and would often hold seances to earn more money. Anyhow, both Johns went before the women to set up shop. They chose an open space about a hundred yards off the Osage Trail, which was at the time a very popular route. It could be clearly seen from the road and was surrounded by prairie land. There were no other places for folks to refuel again for another at least 17 miles or so. They were in the right spot to attract travelers who might need to stop for meals and supplies, but were not so busy that people were watching their every move. They were to build the home that was perfectly premeditated, or rather, um, well-suited for their business endeavors, and settle the land before the women folk were to follow. All well and good so far. But if you head over to our Bag of Bones Facebook or Instagram page, you can see images of the construction of the house. This house was built by design for a specific fiendish purpose, and it's believed that it's not the only one of its kind in the wake of the Bender's family history. The men dug a deep basement and had a 7 by 7 solid slab of rock that was 3 inches thick delivered to their home to be used as the floor of the cellar. They built a one-room cabin, 16 by 24, a barn with a corral, and dug the first well and started on the second well before sending word to the women folk to join them. It was fall of 1871 when Ma Bender and beautiful young Kate stepped off the train in Ottawa, Kansas, 108 miles from their new home. Ma Bender, whose real name was supposedly Elvira, was a heavy-set woman with dark, beady eyes. She, too, rarely spoke, and her German accent was so thick that no one could understand her. The neighbors believed that she couldn't speak English at all for the longest time, until one incident that made her so angry. Turns out she knew a prime choice of words from the English language and was quite capable of getting her point across. Young Kate, who was roughly 22, was the voice of the family. She was very vocal and outgoing. Men were drawn to her fair hair and slim frame, and the women were fascinated by her spiritual abilities. The ladies added their womanly touches to the work-from-home business by dividing the cabin with a heavy canvas curtain, creating living quarters in the back and a small inn and grocery in the front. They added a few tables and chairs, cots and inventory, and hung out a sign that advertised groceries, and they were open for business. Guests could come in without a reservation, I might add, who does that anymore, and be welcomed at the front door. To their right, they would see a small counter and shelves stocked with dry goods such as flour, oats, and salt, other items such as gunpowder and shot, tobacco, and candies. They would be enticed by the delicious aroma of a hot, home-cooked meal wafting through the small building. There was always some kind of stew bubbling on the stove which sat on the other side of the room. If you were so inclined, you would be invited to stay for a meal, while John Jr. would take the livestock to the back of the house to the corral 
where the guests' horses would be promised a good brushing and a meal of hay before being put up for the night. And, if you were especially wealthy, young Kate Bender was close by to bat her eyelashes and escort you to a special table for the exclusive guests of honor. While Kate would regale the guest with stories and fortunes, Ma Bender, who had zero bedside manner and was often referred to as a she-devil, would bring out a steaming bowl of German delicacy. Business was booming. Kate traveled all around Kansas and would present shows in many of the small towns under a banner that announced her as Professor Miss Kate Bender, and for a generous fee, she could contact the spirits, cure maladies, and entertain crowds. She would encourage the more wealthy patrons to escort her back to her home. But soon, travelers began to go missing. Not a good rumor to have floating around your business when you're in the travel industry. At first, it was chalked up to hostile Indians, free slaves, or even guerrilla fighters. We were just following the Civil War, remember. As expectant family members began to demand an inquiry of their missing people, a pattern seemed to emerge. The missing men were able to be traced as far as the Big Hill country of southeast Kansas before the trail would grow cold. In 1871, a body was found along Down Creek with a smashed skull and a gaping knife across the neck. A few months later, two more bodies were found in the same area. Newspapers began to caution people to perhaps find an alternate route as the Osage Trail may no longer be safe to travel and the people of Labette County were concerned. We've all survived history class. My history education was all about cramming dates and names and battles into my teenage brain in order to pass the newest test to make the school look good. I didn't really enjoy history until I was able to revisit it and see that history was made up of people, just like me. They had struggles, they had joy, they had sadness, and they felt victories. It became so very real to me, and now I'm on a mission to revisit as much history as I can. Hello, my name's Elizabeth Bougeret. I'm a full-time author and a full-time traveler, and I would love to share what I'm learning with you. Come with me. See my sights and stories as I go. I love history now. Real history. Not just the dates and battles. And I've discovered that others do too. So I've created a group in Facebook and I'd love for you to join me on my travels and adventures. Let me reintroduce you to a history that's made up of people, places, adventures. I'll even throw in a few battles for good measure. If you love American history with a side of travel, I'm sure you'll enjoy this group. Join me over there. Search the Facebook groups for History Revisited, I'm the one with the blue feather, or type in historyrevisited.info in the search bar and then join in on the adventure. And so I can be sure to welcome you properly, be sure to say hello. In the winter of 1872, a man by the name of George Lonker was traveling with his young daughter. 
He had recently lost his wife and was taking the child to his in-laws to care for her. They were last seen leaving Independence heading toward Iowa, but they were never seen again. When the grandmother of the child reached out to their neighbor, Dr. William York, concerned that they had not arrived, he opted to do a quick search. So, in March of 1873, Dr. William York left Fort Scott, which was about 12 miles from the Bender House. He decided to search along his route to visit his brothers. Might as well make a family trip of it, right? But he never arrived. His two brothers, however, were not just your average citizens and could smell foul play a mile, or twelve, away. They were not the type that were comfortable with assuming ruffians killed their brother. And if it was ruffians, in fact, there would be consequences. Colonel Ed York and Senator Alexander York began a search for their missing brother. Both knew of his travel plans and decided to retrace his steps. The search party arrived at the Bender House on March 28th to inquire about Dr. York. The Benders admitted that he had stayed there with them, but they sent him on his way the next morning. They also added they heard that there had been quite a bit of trouble with horse thieves along the path that Dr. York was traveling. The Yorks, plus another 50 or so men, continued on their search. The clues thinned out and finally came up empty the further away they got from the cabin. So they turned back to the Benders, who seemed to be the last ones to have seen their brother alive. They had a bit of new information as well. Apparently, a woman was chased from the house by Ma Bender, screaming and threatening her life, and Colonel York intended to question them about it. Ma Bender stayed quiet as long as she could stand it, listening to the accusations, but then suddenly burst from the kitchen, screaming in perfect English that the woman accosted her. Ma Bender insisted this supposedly innocent woman of calling her a witch and that she cursed her coffee. So, yes, she may have not so politely encouraged the woman to leave. And with that, she had also had enough of the men's questioning, and since they were not buying food or items ordered them to leave her establishment. Soon after, a township meeting was held at the Harmony Grove Schoolhouse. The meeting was attended by upwards of 75 from various towns. It also included Colonel York and the two John Benders. Following the meeting, after listening to everyone's concerns, it was agreed by all in attendance that all the homes in the area would be thoroughly searched one by one to ensure that once and for all that the trouble came from outside the city and not from one of their own. Another week passed and the searches began. A neighbor, Billy Toll, was moving his cattle along the road and would pass by the Bender home, but today it seemed to have an eerie feel about it. As he paused, daring to move a little closer, he noticed it looked like it could have been abandoned, or, at the very least, neglected. A calf was yowling in the corral, and several dead chickens dotted the yard. The front door was clearly not closed and swayed slightly on its hinges. Billy, afraid that the Bender family may have been some of the latest victims of the rampant murders, and perhaps a little afraid for his own safety, ran straight into town. He told the town trustee, but bad weather delayed their reaching the cabin for another three days. When the roads were passable, the townspeople, including Colonel York and his men, made it to the Bender house. 
It was just as the boy had said. The place looked abandoned. They dismounted and pushed open the front door. The shelves had been emptied and the place looked a bit disheveled, but the thing that hit them the hardest was the smell. It wasn't until further inspection that the grisly truth about the benders came to light. Hello everyone, Elizabeth Bougere here from Bag of Bones. I just wanted to interrupt this episode to take a moment to thank you for getting Bag of Bones podcast to over 1,000 downloads. I love creating this podcast for you and am happy that you are enjoying it and sharing it with others. To show my gratitude, I'd like to send you a gift. Nothing big, just a little bones swag to say thanks. No catch, no gimmick. All you need to do is click the link and fill out the form, then sit back and wait for it to show up in your mailbox. Click the link, fill out the form. That's it. And thanks from all of us that help put Bag of Bones together for you. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. The Bender House was indeed empty of living residents, but the smell was potent. It led them back behind a heavy canvas curtain, which they moved to the side to reveal living quarters. The majority of their clothing was gone. It appeared that the home was either ransacked or the family made a quick getaway. The furniture was in disarray, the food and utensils gone. Upon moving one of the beds, a door was discovered that led to the cellar. Blood had also been seen on the floorboards around the door, which, oddly, was nailed shut. And, of course, when a door is nailed shut, the first thing you want to do is open it to find out why. Anyone who has ever seen a horror movie knows that this is never a good thing. So, they pried the door open, and they found the cause of the wretched odor. Blood. Pools of clotted blood darkened the stone floor below them. Descending the short distance to the low, cramped room, the pools of dried blood still rotting clumps of brain matter or other bodily chunks increased the putrid stench as it seeped along the edges of the stone floor to be soaked up by the mud. No bodies were discovered. Not believing that this much blood could not be without bodies close by, they began to break up the stone floor looking for bodies, but none were found. Still not convinced, and so determined that bodies must be hidden in the cellar, they moved the house off its dug-out basement moved the house, literally, picked it up, and moved it over a few feet. They completely shattered the solid rock floor and dug below it, only to find dirt. The sun was beginning to fade, and as they were about to call off the search, and perhaps feeling a little silly about the overzealousness of their actions, one of the men noticed the fresh, overturned dirt in the garden in the back of the house. It was there only a few inches under the top layer of dirt, the first body was found. Face down, his heels peeking up from the ground, an open wound shattering his skull was the cause of death, but as they rolled him over from his shallow grave, they saw too a brutal knife wound splitting open his throat from ear to ear. The corpse was Dr. William York, the colonel's brother. The group of men continued to probe the yard with an iron rod, looking for other bodies. It didn't take long as they discovered nine buried in somewhat shallow graves in the garden and the nearby apple orchard. The unearthing continued into the next day and the next. 
deeper graves were discovered with older bodies. Some were found viciously mutilated, and some were found burned. But it looks like they honed in on a simple and concise system that worked well for them. The majority of the bodies buried in the yard all had expired from similar wounds, a shattered skull and a slit throat. They found the complete body of a woman and several body parts tossed down in the unfinished well. The body of the missing young girl and her father, Mr. Lonker, were also discovered buried together in the same grave. The child did not have any visible wounds, so it was assumed that she was suffocated, strangled, or buried alive. Thanks to the unconventional interrogation methods, it was discovered that the benders would invite those who seemed to have money or valuable possessions to sit at the table with their back to the canvas curtain. And while young Kate would distract them with her tarot cards or sparkling conversation, the guests would receive a blunt instrument to the back of the head. The body would then be tipped backwards behind the curtain, dropped into the cellar where their throat would be cut, just to make sure they weren't getting up. They would then be stripped of their valuables. The body would stay in the cellar until dark and then taken outside and buried. I guess they just got lazy as the burials of the graves got more shallow or business really was booming and they just didn't have time to do a thorough six-foot-deep gravesite for everyone. Side note, as of February 2020, when the Bender property was put up for sale, the former owners claimed that they had never attempted to see if any more graves could be discovered. It has been used as farmland, but the tracks where the actual house and garden would have been has been left untouched. The first question they get asked is, is it haunted? And they claim they have not seen any ghosts. With all the mix-matched random body parts found, it is said that they could have claimed upwards of 20 victims. The bodies were reburied along the edges of the Bender property, which was about 160 acres. The story hit the newspapers, and suddenly the Bender's house was swarming with reporters and souvenir hunters. The thousand or so people completely disassembled the house and grounds until there was nothing left. They took the rocks from the well and the foundation, the planks from the walls, everything. The Kansas Trails newspaper reported this in June of 1873, quote, On last Sunday, there were about 1,000 men, women, and children at the Bender grounds, gazing with mingled emotions of horror and curiosity. The graves even yet sent forth a sickening stench, and women held their noses as they peered down into the now tenantless holes. Two special trains were run, one from Independence and one from Coffeyville, to a point on the railway line about two miles from the house, and teams were busy running to and fro from the grounds while the greater portion of the crowds were compelled to walk. The trains brought 300 persons there from all parts of the surrounding county, in wagons, carriages, and on horseback. The curiosity of many seemed to master their repulsion, and hundreds brought away some memento of the dreadful place. The blood-stained bedstead was smashed to pieces and divided in the crowd. All the shrubbery and the young trees were broken or torn up and carried away, and pieces of the house borne off by the curious. It was supposed that the grounds would be plowed and scraped again this day to search for other bodies, but the intent was abandoned, and it is not probable that any further search will be made until it is done regularly by the county authorities. End quote. Twelve men were arrested as accessories to the crimes. 
They were accused of disposing of stolen goods and helping to cover up the murders, going so far as to write letters to the family of the victims informing them of their safe arrivals. The benders would sell off the belongings to their visitors to Native Americans who would in turn sell them to other outfitters along the trail. The community formed two posses to hunt down the murderers. An abandoned wagon was found in nearby Thayer with the team still attached and a pup obediently waiting, but no one would return for them. It was two days before anyone removed the wagon and horses from the street and it was finally taken in by the livery, bears, and wheeler. The Kansas Trail had high hopes when it reports, quote, Rewards for the total amount of $5,000 has been offered for the capture of the murderers, and there is not the slightest doubt that they will be recovered. On last Saturday, the detectives were on the trail of the benders with the expressed certainty of effecting their speedy capture, and it is more than probable that they are already taken. With the number under arrest and the others watched, no doubt someone will reveal the whole truth when Kansas will be rid of the worst scoundrels that ever infested and cursed this country, end quote. The last solid piece of evidence that could be discovered was a ticket agent in Thayer, Kansas, who reported selling tickets to four people matching their descriptions. From Thayer, the trail of the benders disappeared. The group split in two directions. Mother and father went toward St. Louis, Missouri, while the children went toward Texas. The senator, Alexander York, offered up a reward of $1,000 and the Kansas governor issued a $2,000 reward for the family's apprehension, but to no avail. Almost a year later, 1874, the Elk County advocate from Ridgeway, Pennsylvania, printed, quote, The result was that the Bender family fled, and though nearly every day the telegraph brings news of the arrest of one of the family, not one of the murderers has yet really been seized. Years and years would come and go with sightings, and even one case that actually went to court of two women believed to be the mother and daughter benders. The evidence proved that they were not, in fact, the wanted criminals. But nothing could be done about their time served and the suspicion and poor treatment they had to live through. But it's all story. No fact. The truth is, the benders have never been apprehended. To this day, no one knows for certain what became of the bloody benders. No one came to collect the reward. They just seemed to disappear into the fabric of the wild and open west, getting away with murder. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Bag of Bones. I'm glad you stopped by. If you enjoy these stories, it would really help us if you could like and review on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts. Or I'd love to know where you're hanging out. Take a screenshot of the episode and post it to your social media tagging me. I'd love to say hello. You can connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Bag of Bones Podcast or at my website www.elizabethbougeret.com. We'll see you next week. Bag of Bones is created and hosted by Elizabeth Bougeret with research by Anna Krunkelberg. Produced by the Ragtag Network and History Revisited. Music by Johnny Reed. To learn more about the show, visit elizabethbougeret.com. For more podcasts from the Ragtag Network, visit their website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. 
Copyrights by Elizabeth Bougeret and DCT Enterprises. Hello listeners, we are Katie, Amber, Kylie, and Matt, and we are the hosts of Save Me an Isle Seat, a show that talks about musicals in an understandable and relatable way. If you like musicals or theater in general, or if you're interested in them but don't know where to start, we'd love to help introduce you. Come find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or on our website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. And we'll be sure to save you an aisle seat.